You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues of matter in business and management. This episode is brought to you by the McKinsey Quarterly. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Tim Dixon, an editor with the McKinsey Quarterly, and today we're going to be talking about transformations, big, organization-wide change programs with the potential to really change the trajectory of a company. These are historically very difficult and remain difficult. So how can executives increase their chances of success? Joining me today to discuss this and other issues are Michael Busey, a partner in McKinsey's Charlotte office, Stephen Hall, a partner in the London office, and Doug Yacola, a partner in our Boston office. All three are members of McKinsey's Recovery and Transformation Services practice. Mike, Stephen and Doug, thanks so much for joining. Now Doug, you have said in a recent article that transformation is, and I quote, the most overused term in business. When you talk about transformations, what's different? What's new? I think transformations, the way that we think about them, are organization-wide and completely holistic. This is something that you don't do with just the top five executives in the company in a top-down exercise. It's not something that you know you transform a small piece of the business, but I, I think a transformation really happens when you get the entire organization involved in something that is bigger than themselves. The way that we think about it is um, it needs to be hugely aspirational. And so a transformation takes place where the people don't understand the breadth and depth of what they can do until they get involved in it. It's truly about the full potential of the company and not just uh, you know, an incremental uh, bump here and there. Anything you'd add to that, Stephen? One of my clients likes to talk about the need to go against the grain. A true transformation is disruptive. It doesn't just work with the existing governance, the existing processes, the existing budgeting cycle, the existing ways of doing things. It is going to disrupt and it's going to create challenge and tension and friction in the organization. And I think we view those characteristics as being necessary co-travelers to delivering a true transformation of the company. Because it is so disruptive, it's also a top priority of the organization. This is not something that can be third or fourth down in the CEO's list of things they must do. It is really the way we talk about it is, it's the number one or number two priority, you know, past safety that you need to be thinking about. And what is the context you're finding for these transformations? Is it primarily technology and technology disruption that are causing companies to undergo these big change projects? No, not at all. This runs the gamut. You can have a company that has just been poorly performing for many years and need to take step back, take stock, and really undergo a fundamental transformation of their business model. Uh, there's technological disruption, as you point out. There is disruption as it relates to the revenue growth plan. And we work with many companies that have been in high growth for the last, say, five, six, seven years, and suddenly that growth is starting to tail off. 
We are working a lot with B2C companies now that have a technological disadvantage in that they've been brick and mortar or they've been working a lot in print and now they need to go to much more digital media. And so that has also been a big area of transformation. These are companies that look at where they are now and they look in the future and they know that they need to do more than just an incremental improvement year over year in order to stay ahead of their competition. Historically, a lot of these big transformation projects have failed. Stephen, in your experience, why is that? What sort of patterns do we see? Well, first of all, I think executives are right to be skeptical about this term transformation and the opportunities that it can offer. The research that we've done and the research that academics have done and many of our competitors do show a consistently very high failure rate uh, of these programs, as reported by the companies themselves, around 70% or so are uh, routinely uh, cited as being the likely rate of failure of these kinds of programs. And I think it's not surprising when you think about it, that is the case. This is a company uh, is going to be in a situation where they are trying to change many things in parallel uh, to a significant degree. And what we find, of course, is that the resistance, both the resistance in the broader workforce in a company, but also, frankly, in the extended leadership team itself, is often very high to making those kinds of, uh, of changes. So what we try to do, if you like, is to take a company through a process by which they are going to build commitment to an agenda, to a set of aspirations, and ultimately to a set of plans that will allow them to move beyond the current status quo. It requires a, a, a set of steps, a, a, a disciplined approach, if you like, which many companies are simply not set up to do for themselves. They not, don't necessarily have the pattern recognition in terms of what needs to be achieved. So you guys have been working with a lot of companies that have succeeded in their transformation programs. Michael, what would you say are the essential ingredients for those who get it right? It's all about avoiding leakage. So at the aspiration stage, folks don't go for their full potential. And so they go for seven out of 10 of it. And then in the planning and execution, they let some things slide. They actually don't see some things all the way through. And they do seven out of 10 of it. And then finally, they don't build in the changes that are necessary for the initiative to be sustained. They get it seven out of 10 right. Well, if you multiply that together, those sevens out of tens, you quickly get to a about a 30% success rate. And that's what we've seen again and again. You have to, at each step of the process, go for the 100% and be able to realize the full potential of the business in order for the transformation to be successful. Let's just talk a little bit more about that target setting. This is one of the initial steps that's obviously important to get right, to go for what the potential really is rather than what people think it is. How is that possible in practice that people could so underestimate the potential? Mike? All executives are familiar with the typical budget cycle of a, a company and managers throw out very lofty targets and then have discussions with the other executives about what they're willing to commit to. You say it's going to be 100, the executive comes back and says, no, I can give 20, you settle on a number of 30 to 40 or 50. Our process starts with setting the bar at the full potential of the business. What can they really achieve, that 100? And being uncompromising and saying, we're going to go after that 100 because here's the fact base that supports it. The rest of the executives have to suspend disbelief for a bit because they've operated in an environment where they've never been able to achieve 100. They've been able to achieve 20 or 30 or 50. 
And it takes that suspension of disbelief to start going on the process, to start developing the initiatives, to start talking to their teams and start setting a new target to allow people the space to think differently and to realize their full potential. There is a real value to having an independent perspective. Many times the management teams, highly, highly qualified management teams, have been living with a plan and living in the business for a long time and they've developed paradigms and those paradigms sometimes are unknown to them. Bringing in someone who has a fresh perspective and very independent is very, very powerful uh, in, in making these happen well. Let's just talk a little bit about the Chief Transformation Officer, which is another of the important ingredients of success in these programs. Stephen, what's your perspective on that? Our view is that the Chief Transformation Officer or, or CTO is, is absolutely critical to driving a transformation program. Very often companies have been through change processes where they will have appointed someone to be the head of the PMO, the Program Management Office or, or something of that nature. It's generally a mid-level executive who is reporting upwards to an executive team. And that's often what they expect when we show up. And we push for something that feels very different to that. We insist on there being a chief transformation officer, someone who will report directly to the chief executive, who will sit on the executive management team as a peer to all of the other executives who might be leading uh, large businesses or leading functions, and someone who's not going to have P&L responsibility for the outcome, but is going to have responsibility for the quality, the rigor, uh, and the pace of the transformation program. And this comes down to quite subtle things. It's less about the mechanics. It's more about the, about the degree of challenge that goes on in those early conversations. Very often, we'll have a CTO say to the chief executive, I'm going to pick some battles here. I'm going to pick a few fights with members of your team, and you have to back me on each of those battles. If you don't back me, and you don't give me the independent authority to drive this process and to challenge your team, then we're not likely to be successful here. And that constructive tension that gets set up, I think, in the best of these programs is one of the things that allows an organization to go further and faster than it would do under a business-as-usual governance approach. Some people listening to that will say that the constructive tension could become unconstructive conflict. Do you have any thoughts about how to avoid that, Doug? I think this is where you need the experience. We often say that the skill sets you need to run a company are very different than the skill sets you need to transform a company. And so finding someone, either internally at the client, then with heavy coaching, or using a, a experienced chief transformation officer, I think are really, really important. You do have to pick your battles. You can't fight every fight. Uh, and I think the, the trick here is to get people to understand that you are acting almost like a personal trainer. You are pushing them so that they can get better. And if you can develop those relationships early on and make connections, personal connections with people, so they would see you as a CTO, as a person just trying to do the best for the organization. And to Stephen's point, it also takes the one-on-one the -on -one conversations between the CTO and the CEO and with the other leaders to work through, to orchestrate these conversations, to get on the same page, to form the personal relationships that are going to be the foundation for driving the trains forward. 
don't underestimate how powerful those personal relationships need to be in order to have the tough conversations in the more public settings. So we've talked about the importance of the senior people in these programs, but underlying a transformation is the transformation office. Mike, can you tell us a bit more about what that is and what it looks like? Well, first and foremost, it cannot be a PMO. It can't be how you traditionally think of a program management office that is tracking initiatives, that's counting the dollars, that's all they're doing is keeping score. The transformation office has to add more value. And they add more value first and foremost by recentering their conversation. The focus needs to be on the initiative owners, the hundreds, the thousands of folks around the organization that are trying to drive the change across the business. The TO, the transformation, has to focus on them and figure out what they can do to help those initiative owners get things done where they have failed in the past. Driving action is the heartbeat of the TO and then creating a cadence throughout the organization, a relentless cadence to drive action again and again and again in order to move the organization forward. One of the best transformation offices that, that I ever saw was in a, a large basic materials company. And they set up the TO, it was a big circular room. It was right in the heart of the organization. It was a place that people would naturally um, come past and come through. They had no chairs in the room. All they had was stand-up space, and they had whiteboards all the way around the walls. And on every whiteboard was a separate major work stream and the underpinning initiatives and what the progress on each of those were. And they had the work stream uh, leaders, the sponsors, the leaders, and the underpinning initiative owners come in every week and give an account of the progress that they were making, talk about where they were falling behind, and drive it through to a very, very pragmatic set of must-dos, so-whats in terms of removing barriers, moving things faster, finding ways to fill gaps that have occurred and so forth. And at the top of this room, they had a gradation all the way around uh, the room which described the overall target that they were headed for. They called it the snake. Every week the snake progressed another half meter or meter uh, around the room. In the end, that snake went around the room, uh, I think, two and a half times. That's how much more they achieved versus what they initially set themselves as an aspiration. The transformation office is about getting that cadence right, the processes right, and marshalling the energies of the employees of the company. But a lot of it, I know from your work, is about getting the mindsets of employees pointing in the right direction and encouraging that mindset. Mike, would you talk a little about how you go about changing mindsets when they're not going in the right direction? Equally as important as the specific initiatives, the what, as we, as we talk about, is the how. of How is the transformation going to be executed? And even more broadly, how are we going to change how the organization is run? In every situation I've been a part of, there has been deeply held roadblocks, really, mindsets that are holding the organization back from its full potential. Sometimes it's folks within the organization that are just waiting to be told. Sometimes it's the organization so siloed that they are prioritizing and optimizing for their own specific function or business unit rather than the tribe as a whole. And it's finding what those are, and it's what the individual mindsets are in a given company situation and the culture that's grown up over time, and unlocking that and calling that out and then figuring out how you're going to change that, that really allows the organization to go from a performance level that's good or okay to great, and most importantly, sustainable. 
in adding to what Mike has said. We have a very strong belief that you just don't think differently and then everything's okay. You have to actually put quality effort behind changing mindsets, which then change behaviors in the organization going forward. And the way I like to talk about it a lot is what you need to do in a transformation is to get people to act differently. And when people begin to act differently, they will begin to think differently. The transformation office and the way that Stephen was describing big round room and getting people to, to go around, those are examples of getting people to act differently and therefore think differently. One of the best examples I saw was a situation where we walked into a company that thought they needed about $100 million of overall improvement. This is both on revenue and cost. After doing an independent look at it, we came up with a number that was six times that they could go after. And watching them go through the process of getting their head around the fact that there was six times more value than they originally thought, and then the courage that it took for them to say, we're going to go after it, and we're going to go after all of that was very inspiring. We put a whole program towards doing that, towards going after that, the peak that they never thought they could attain. And in this, this company built confidence. The people in the company built confidence as they started to climb that mountain. And when they got done with that uh, 600 million, they went back to the well again and they found another 400 million. One of the most difficult things, and I think your experience backs this up, is to sustain the impact of the transformation beyond that first six to nine months and to avoid a situation where people just get tired and go back to their bad old ways. I'd like to ask you all just to reflect on that. And I think that beyond the mindset changes we've talked about, it is sort of retooling capabilities that is critical to being able to sustain a transformation after the formal, highly focused program has run its course. People need to learn to work in different ways. They need to learn different skills. They need to learn how to connect differently with their customers. They need to learn how to work differently with their supply chains. These are all areas where I think that there's much more for us to do, and indeed for the companies themselves to do, to actually ensure they've got a workforce that's going to take them forward, not just back to the old uh, equilibrium, as you described it before, Tim. Doug, is it capabilities as you see it? Are there other things in your experience that drive sustainability when it goes well? It's absolutely about capability, but I also think that in addition to that, there's something to be said for the, the discipline of a cadence. And one of the things that we enforce early on in a transformation is that there is complete transparency and accountability for the type of initiatives that people are working on. And that it will be expected they're going to come in every week and they're going to talk about how they're doing against that. And I think that begins to get people to form a habit. Somewhere out there is a truism that is you do anything for three weeks and it becomes a habit. Um, you know, in this case, we're doing this for a year, and you ingrain this sort of habit into people that is a sense of accountability and a sense of discipline with how they go about in their daily jobs, and I think that makes it sustainable as well. Agreed on both Stephen and Doug's points. would add two things. One is the transformation can't be separate from the financials, 
and the financial processes. It has to be part and parcel. So therefore, the initiatives that are delivered are baked into the budget, into the forecast. And then the annual cycle that the business goes on to where they set the next budget has to have the same transformational thinking in it so that the organization is, has learned, as Doug was saying, a habit of going after value. And then in the next budget cycle, they set another ambitious goal and go after that and go put that value to the bottom line. And then the second thought is around you have to change how the company runs, how the company operates. If the company feels the same on day zero and on day 365 or in two years, et cetera, you probably haven't changed the company so that the, the transformation will be sustainable. You have to change how the company identifies, makes, and executes decisions at its core. So it's permanent revolution or a permanent new way of working. How would you best characterize it, Mike? I think this is the new way of business for uh, our clients and for the business community as a large. Transformation is here to stay. At the end of the day, transformation is about reaching your full potential. And I think that's what all businesses are going to start to think about more often. One of my clients uh, uses the phrase constructive dissatisfaction. And I think that's a, it's a wonderful way of describing the kind of ethos that you want to see in a company that's going to continue to improve. That from the CEO down to people at the frontline level, they're all constructively dissatisfied with their current level of performance and are always looking for ways to take the next hill, to move things forward, to improve, to extend. Um, that mindset, I think, ultimately is what distinguishes companies that continue to lead and thrive in what are increasingly turbulent and sort of high change environments versus those that sort of ultimately get through a process but collapse exhausted at the end of it. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Doug Yacola, Stephen Hall and Michael Busey for making the time to speak with us. To learn more about McKinsey's thinking on transformations and other hot topics in business and management, please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.